My guest today on the A-Game podcast is Peter Yakovatsi. Peter is a fourth-degree Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under Atos and Andre Galval. He's also the founder of 5 by 5 Mission Ready Training, which teaches defensive tactics to military, law enforcement, first responders, and other personnel to efficiently handle real-world hand-to-hand combat situations. It's based on real fight scenarios and principles used by the most elite mixed martial arts Fighters and professional combat athletes in the system features a progressive curriculum focusing on the three ranges of close quarter combats, including striking, clinching, and grappling. Peter is a longtime martial artist. He's won many different titles, as we'll talk about. And he's also the host of another program called Stand By Me, where they teach children to deal with conflict through nonviolent means. He is also a great guy. I spent a lot of time with him in Chicago. He's a great jiu-jitsu practitioner. He's very well-spoken. He's got a ton of life experience. He's traveled all over the world, training jiu-jitsu, training law enforcement, meeting different people, uh, and just a good guy. He's got a great background. He's got a great story, and I think you'll take a lot of really good key lessons from this. We started, obviously, talking about jiu-jitsu, and anybody who is into jiu-jitsu will absolutely love this episode with the amount of names he drops that he has been affiliated with, trained with, been friends with, competed with. It's absolutely amazing. It's really a who's who Rolodex. Then we start going into some of the principles of self-defense and combat and how he trains the military. We talk about his background as a model. We talk about lessons learned throughout the world training. And we talk about a lot of things that relate to Americans and patriotism in general that may have been lost in recent years. And uh, some of the things that we should be thankful for and some of the real life lessons and true testaments to what military and law enforcement actually do and how they put it on the line and some of the differences between things that we think are important with consequences and some of the things that are actually important with people that if the, their day doesn't go right, they don't come home. So um, whether you are a fan of Brazilian jiu-jitsu or a fan of law enforcement, or a fan of America, either way, you should really listen to this episode for many different reasons that you will learn good principles, good key techniques that will translate not only from jiu-jitsu and athletics, but it will carry over into good things that you can use for your daily interactions, whether it's in business, in your personal life, on your job, whatever it is you're doing. Um, there's definitely good things that you should learn from Peter here. Um, we'll also discuss um, some really good things for those of you who are getting to be uh, 30, 40, 50 and up and still want to train or be in better health or have better mental clarity and better mental energy. Peter is in his 50s and he's still uh, in, he's shredded. He's in great shape. He's got great energy. He's still taking on the world. He's winning multiple world titles on jiu-jitsu mats all, over, all across the world. So he gives some really good insight on ways to train smarter, to not injure yourself and have longevity mentally and physically on and off the mats. So hopefully you guys enjoy this. It's sponsored, as always, by Naked Warrior Recovery CBD. Go to nakednick.com slash links. And when you click on there, you can see all the ways to connect with me and all the ways to download the show. Under affiliates, you will see the Naked Warrior Recovery CBD link. Tried, true, and tested owned by a Navy SEAL, William Brannon. Check out that link. You will see all the different things they have on his website that grows every single week with new different pure products, some of the best stuff on the market. Take it for 30, 60 days straight. You'll see immediate improvements in uh, the stuff that you're doing with your sleep, your fatigue, your anxiety, especially grapplers listening to this, your neck, your joints, all the stuff that's been twisted and, and tweaked and inflamed for years starts to feel way better. Um, and you can put in promo code AGAME to get 20% off. Lastly, go to nicknicknick.com search around or contact me on that link site and let's figure out how to get you involved in real estate. You can start by downloading our free ebook, how the coronavirus has changed real estate and what every investor needs to know in this market climate. So get that for free through our website, or you can spend a couple of dollars on Amazon if you want to go that direction, but get it free through our site. And also let's figure out how to get you into some deals. That's really what's important. If you are interested in finding a way to be involved in real estate investing, build up your assets, build up your cash flow, build up some net worth, 
Let's talk about how you can buy properties from me. You can sell properties to me, or we can partner up and find a way to get this going, whether it's residential, fix and flips, cash flow properties, commercial, land developments, um, whatever it is you want, we can figure out a way to get this going. Let's make 2021 your year. Thank you again, Peter Yakovatsi, for being a great guest, great guy, great friend. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Looking forward to seeing you again, and I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands, people that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Mr. Pete Yakovatsi. He is a fourth in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's an instructor at Atos headquarters out in San Diego, California. Six-time Pan American champion, seven-time U.S. national champion, two-time world Nogi champion, a European champion, fully certified in modern army combatives, a founder of 5x5 uh, Mission Ready Special Operative Combats, which we are going to jump into. Uh, 20 years teaching military combat, combats to law enforcement and self-defensive tactics across the United States. He has worked with SEAL teams, special mission units throughout the country. Uh, he has trained federal, state, and local law enforcement. Again, owns 5x5 submission-ready training. He's a proud father uh, and currently working with law enforcement agencies throughout the United States to make <laughs> a more effective place for the police officers. And more importantly, uh, he kicks the crap out of me Early in the morning, he gets out of bed and throws me a nice beating whenever he comes to the Chicago area. So it's uh, we've become friends, talk all the time. It's a pleasure to have you on. I miss seeing you. You're out in Park City right now. How the heck are you doing, Pete Yakovatsi? Man, that I, I don't know if I could ever have a better introduction than that. <laughs> I live up to that intro on this podcast, but uh, I, your question, I, I'm doing great. Happy New Year. I, I miss you. I love you. I can't wait to get back in the Chicago area. And I can't wait to get back on the mat with you. Looking forward to it, man. So uh, we were just talking a little bit before we started recording about Park City. And, you know, uh, you travel a lot for work. I travel a lot for work. So I feel like it, it definitely is something that makes you appreciate and, and get a perspective on the jujitsu culture. And I assume that you're getting a lot of that now when you're going around and you're you're talking to people on the military and the law enforcement level. I know that everybody kind of has like their niches and their things, but I know there's a lot of... Uh, I'd say foundational symmetries between a lot of those things as far as law enforcement and jujitsu go. So how have you been mixing that? I'd love to hear a little bit about, first off, how you got into jujitsu and then how this whole thing came together and we can dig a lot deeper into five by five, but talk a little bit first about your journey into jujitsu. You know, my journey into jujitsu was uh, by accident. I think like a lot of people's journeys into most things, you know, it's uh, what's that saying? You know, if you want to hear God laugh, just tell him your plan. Um, so I grew up wrestling. I wrestled uh, AAU little guy in, in high school. In college, I, re I wrestled in a club at the University of Montana because at that time they didn't have a wrestling program, uh, but they had a club program. So I, I wrestled there. Mostly a lot of the Montana guys just beat the crap out of me, but it was fun. Um, and then after that, I really I began to move on with life. Uh, in 1995, um, I was in the midst of a, a relatively successful career. Uh, modeling and acting. So when you're in that career, you really there's only two places you really can live: New York City, which you and I both love, 
or of course, Los Angeles, California. So in 95, I was with a large agency out of New York and LA, and they recommended that I would take the next step and move to Los Angeles. Um, so I went out to visit and I went to what's called the South Bay, Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach, Redondo Beach. Um, and at that time, I didn't know anything about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at all. Uh, I was just a guy, you know, had just left New York City. I was living, I went from Manhattan to Manhattan Beach. And uh, I was just trying to make it, you know, I wanted to be the next uh, Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise. So I was out there like every other young slash model actor, uh, attending bar a little bit and taking gigs when I could get them and uh, trying to build a life in that world. Uh, I made friends with a guy named Eddie, who was the manager of Gold's Gym in Redondo Beach. And this was a Memorial Day weekend of 1995, just a few years after Hoist Gracie's famous debut in UFC 1. And um, I, I was in there working out, and I knew a little bit about UFC and the Gracies, like most Americans. I knew just enough to know what it was, but I didn't know anything about it, and I didn't pretend to. Uh, one day I was working out in Gold's Gym, and as it turned out, Hoist Gracie and some of the Gracies, they, had a, they were given a complimentary membership at Gold's Gym Redondo Beach. And in return for that, uh, all they had to do was every Saturday in the Gold's Gym multi-purpose room, they uh, either hoist or one of the Gracies or one of their instructors would come do like a one hour, maybe hour and a half complimentary introduction to jujitsu class for Gold's Gym members. Um, and I had no interest in that, not because I didn't want to do it. I just I had a full plate and that's not why I was in Manhattan Beach. So one day I was working out and uh, hoist Gracie, who I knew who he was, but I didn't know him. He was working out. We were using the same exercise machine. We were doing back pull downs. And uh, he asked me if he could work in. And I said, sure. You know, like any guy in the gym, you know, you know how it is in the gym. Hey, buddy, give me a spot. Hey, buddy, can I work in? So we worked in. A couple minutes went by. And uh, I, I showed him the way I was doing pull downs versus the way he was doing. Not that he was doing it wrong, but I think he was relatively new to lifting weights. So he was eager to learn. So I said, well, let me show you how I do it. So we did that. And then he asked me, he said, what are you doing next? I said, well, I'm going to do chin-ups. He said, hey, do you mind if I do them with you? So for about 20 minutes, we're just two total strangers in the gym kind of working out together. Yeah, he was a very nice guy. And it was, it was a quiet afternoon in the Gold's Gym, which doesn't happen very often in Gold's Gyms in Southern California. As the conversation began, he said, hey, you know, I'm, hi, my name is Hoist. And I said, ah, my name is Peter. And he said, yeah, it's really nice to meet you. And then I kind of jokingly said, wait a minute, aren't you that UFC guy? And he kind of laughed. And, and in, in fairness, he was very humble. Uh, he was actually a very nice guy. And he kind of laughed and said, yeah, that, that was me. And uh, so we worked out a little bit. And I told him I had wrestled as a kid and um, that I didn't know anything about jujitsu. And he said, you know, you, you would really like it. And you might do good at it. Um, and I didn't know if he was being nice or not. And he said, every Saturday... We do a class here at Gold's Gym. He said, you should come check it out. He said, this Saturday, we'll be here at 11 in the morning. And, and you know, I, niceties were exchanged and we finished our workout and we went our separate ways. And Saturday morning came and I had planned on going to the beach for the day. And it just so happened it was raining that day. So I thought, I'll go to the gym, maybe do some cardio or something. And when I walked in, I saw Hoist and like maybe three or four guys on some rollout mats in the, in the aerobics room. And he saw me and kind of waved me in. So I was like, oh, geez, now I got to go in. So, you know, I, very, now this is where probably anybody who's ever first done jujitsu, where they kind of either, either you hate it or you become addicted. 
So I walked in and, uh, and they were all super nice. And it was obvious that I was pretty muscular, athletic guy and they weren't so muscular and athletic. And I thought, oh man, yeah, I, I hope these guys don't want to wrestle with me. I don't want to, I don't want to hurt anybody. <laughs> so they taught a, they taught some very basic jujitsu, you know? Um, and then afterwards Hoy said, oh, you know, now we roll a little bit, we spar. And I said, sure, that'd be great. Let's do it. So they, I had a pair of shorts on and they, they gave me a gi top and a white belt. And I'm pretty sure I tied the belt like a bow tie. not even sure what I was doing. And, uh, and, and then the, the guy, one of the black belt instructors, he started kind of on his knees. And because the only experience I've had with grappling was wrestling, I stood up on my feet and I said, no, no, we have to start on our feet. He said, no, I, you know, let's start on our knees. It's, it's safer. And, you know, I was insistent. No, no, you got to start on your feet. <laughs> so he obliged me, you know, and started on our feet. And, and, you know, I think we, I was a little tentative because I didn't know what to expect. And I think he was just being respectful because he knew I didn't know anything about jujitsu. So like all typical wrestlers, what did I do? Boom. I fired a power double right out of the gate, took him down. And boy, I was so impressed with myself. And for about 10 seconds, I was the coolest guy in the room. And then for about the next three minutes, he twisted me, tied me up and just thoroughly just schooled me. And, and then I said, I do that again. And I got back up on my feet and it was almost like instant replay. We did it again. So when the class was over, you know, I, instead of walking out there saying, man, I'm never coming back here again. Like a lot of people, I was like, wow, how did he do that? I don't understand how he did that. So that began my journey. So for about maybe five or six months, I just would go every Saturday to the free class and just learn a little bit here and there. And as I got a little bit better, I didn't get beat up quite as bad. But I can tell you that other than the takedown, I don't think I did very well for about the first six months. And here that was 1995. Here we are now in 2021. And basically my life choices, my career, and what I've derived so much joy from since that one day is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu submission grappling. And it was certainly not the reason that I went to Gold's Gym that day. That's awesome, man. I love the twists and turns there. One of the things you brought up that I, I have felt personally has become a little bit of a lost art. I was talking to Ray Longo about this, talking to some other guys. It, it comes up every time I go back to New York and we kind of get together and have some beers and some food. But I remember that there was almost like every few weeks or few months when they lined everybody up against the wall after the beginner class, they'd say, okay, you know what? You guys did great, but let's talk about etiquette. Here's a couple of things that you should always do. Here's a couple of things that you shouldn't be doing. This is considered rude. This is not. And I remember every time it came up, we'd look at each other and be like, shit, was he talking about me? I did that yesterday. I didn't even realize that that was like a, a rude thing to do. Like I'm not supposed to ask the black belt to roll. I'm not supposed to do this. Right. There's a lot of things that you just didn't know. And then something like you just said there, that you went in and he was like from the knees and you were like, no, like imagine a white belt walking into Ad's house now and telling Galval like, no, get up. Like it was, it was <laughs> knowing like, no, you know what I mean? Like there also has to be a little bit of that, like, okay. And you know, following up that, and now you also have the fact that then it was a jujitsu gym and he was always, who was fresh off the UFC. There's guys, yeah. that, but now you also have the business side of it where you have to worry about like, if I don't, come from a place of like serving the customer here is this guy not going to walk out the door because i also need my membership so i've seen it change a lot over the years but i feel like there's not enough of that with some of the newer belts and younger guys same thing at the boxing gyms and the muay thai gyms of knowing like the courtesies of like what you do and what you don't do yeah. what's your take on that being a guy that's been around jiu-jitsu for 25 years and probably seen 
everything you could possibly think of. You know, I, that, it's funny you should say that. Uh, my good friend and training partner, Keenan Cornelius, has started a company called Jiu-Jitsu X, and where he's getting a lot of high-level black belts to to show something that they specialize in, that they're really good at. Maybe Lucas Barboza's guard passing style or, or uh, Keenan's lapel guard. And Keenan and I were talking, and he said, you know, what would be great, Peter, for you is to come on and do a portion of Jiu-Jitsu X to focus entirely on introduction to Jiu-Jitsu, fundamentals of Jiu-Jitsu, and to kind of give the, let's say the guys like me, the middle-aged grappler who's never stepped on a Jiu-Jitsu mat in his life, who doesn't, forget about telling him what worm guard is, he's not sure which side of the lapel of the gi should go over. And Keenan said, you know, it sounds funny, but, uh, but that's been lost over the years unless it's a very traditional BJJ school. And he said, it might be interesting for you to come in and, and give like a white belt style curriculum where anybody of any age and any gender can get a, an introduction to jujitsu that they may or may not have gotten when they started or when they're about to start. Uh, so I'm actually developing that curriculum now. And, and I think it's a wonderful idea because in, in the old days, you know, the Brazilians understood the formalities on a jujitsu mat. But when it came to America, especially for guys like us that may have a wrestling background, you should showed up for wrestling practice. The coach didn't bow you in. If you were late, you ran laps. If you were early, you probably still ran laps. And you trained, you did the move, and then you tried to wrestle and kill each other. When you were done, you laid on the mat exhausted. You did some more laps, you drank your Gatorade, and you went home. But it's a little bit different. And, you know, where Brazilian jiu-jitsu, in a sense, it is a martial art. You know, it may not be as formal a martial art as, say, other martial arts, but some schools it is. There's the correct way to bow. There's the correct way to address a professor or a higher rank. There's the correct way to tie your belt to wear your gi. Like at Atos, I'll give you a perfect example. If, if Professor Galvan or myself or any other professor is on the mat and class has already started and you're late for whatever reason, you dress out, but you wait off of the mat. You don't just run on the mat and say, oh, professor, I'm sorry, I'm here now. You wait until the professor sees you, and then the professor brings you onto the mat, and you quickly come over, shake hands and bow, and then immediately you jump in class. Now, I know not every school does that, and it doesn't make it neither right nor wrong, but I see at certain schools there are formalities, and at other schools it's a little bit like a free-for-all. So, um, And I've seen that over my entire history of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I think, I think what I've learned to do, because I travel so much and train at so many other schools, I try to always stick to the etiquette that I've been brought up with in Jiu-Jitsu, but I always just kind of look, I watch. So I try to follow whatever is the etiquette of that school, that even though I'm a black belt professor at Atos, I'm a guest at that school, even if the teacher might only be a purple belt on that mat. I'm still a guest, so I have to treat, I have to act accordingly because like I always tell Professor Galvan, I'm not just representing myself, I'm representing all of Atos. So you have to go with, you know, with that mentality and that ideology. But no, you're right, it's changed so much that it would be interesting if there was somehow to unify it all. But I just don't know if we could. All right, so you're talking about uh, your, your video. I think that that might be a great thing to actually give some of that stuff out. Um, and again, I, it is interesting because... Mark Turner, actually, who we both know, we'll talk about him. He gave me great advice because it didn't even really ever occur to me. You know, like um, I, I always call Matt Sarah no matter where I go. And I go, hey, man, I'm in California. I'm, I'm going to go take a, a private at Atos with JT Torres. 
is that okay? Is, is, should I not be going there? Is there and he, he never says no. And then what I started to realize was, he, he, and he doesn't care. I still do it. But he's like, you can go wherever. But I think at first it wasn't even really a reflection on like my jujitsu. It, it's your character of like, well, how are you going to represent my gym? And I think after a while, after I did it enough and he got to know me enough to know that I, no matter where I go, I'm going to, for the most part, even if I do something, maybe not exactly by the book, like maybe I walk on the mat because I didn't know that was a thing. I think by the end of the class or by the end of my trip, overall, as they get to know me, they'll realize that anything was not intentional you know, like you're, yeah. you're trying to be polite, you're trying to be respectful. And I, I think as long as that, you can tell when somebody's doing something to be disrespectful or somebody just yeah. doesn't know any better and they're trying. And I, I think that's really where it comes down to. But sometimes when you're just passing by, you don't get to feel all that, though. So, you know, uh, on that side of it, I think you're exactly right that when you go somewhere, you're a representation of who you got your black belt from in the, in the school that you yeah. come from. And I always take that into consideration, but I, I don't always see that when I'm, oh, this guy's a visitor too. And I'm like, man, we are acting completely different. And at the end, you see like, you know, you can come back anytime. That guy, maybe not so much, you know? <laughs> well, I've seen that too. And, and uh, you know, one of the things I would say that, that, that as a student or as a guest or a visitor, it's your responsibility to be respectful. It's your responsibility to try to follow the rules of the academy that you're training at. But equally so it is also the responsibility of that professor or the teacher on the mat and the other students to maybe give you a nudge or remind you hey man you know we we don't we don't do that here you know so oftentimes you know again it's communication and you and i have done jujitsu long enough to know usually within a few minutes of training with somebody you know if he's a good respectful guy that you're going to have a great training with and likely exchange Instagrams or phone numbers and maybe go have a beer with. And you also know, you know what? I don't think I'm, a, I, you know, I hope this guy doesn't ever come back. Yeah. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu uh, jiu guys may not be the smartest in the world at everything, but most Jiu-Jitsu guys and girls are very good at, you know, I always say once you put hands on, you can figure each other out pretty quickly, you know, sure. and whether it's posture, body language, the, you know, the way you grunt and breathe. But you can you can start to figure somebody out pretty quick. There might not be any better way to get to know somebody than try to choke him or have him try to choke you. <laughs> That's what the, the bonds are made from on the mats like that for years. You know, yeah, it, it, is. it is interesting, too, because when I tell people what I do and they hear that I go to these different schools and all over the country, go in and train early with, you know, me and you were meeting at like five, six o'clock a lot of the time. Yeah. You're like, isn't it weird? Like, just like, what if it gets awkward? And I'm like, you know, I. It usually doesn't come to that, but there has been a few times where you show up, you've never talked to this guy. You talk to somebody at the front desk who set up the private, they're Brazilian. Yeah. They don't really understand what you're saying. You don't understand what they're saying. The gym's totally empty. Everybody's locked. It's locked and it's just the two of you. And, and there is kind of that thing when they go for something of like, this could go bad if I don't handle this the right <laughs> way. So it is interesting. I, I do love it. And um, I will say your Academy Autos was one of my favorite places. I was really bummed out when I started going over there. And after like my third or fourth private with JT Torres, he was like, dude, I'm moving to New York. I was like, but you were my California guy. I don't need you. I'm at seven. Like, Can't you stay California? But um, I called up there because I, I have a lot of trouble finding guys to train with me that early. So I go to new cities. It usually takes me a few trips to find somebody that's willing to get up and meet me that early. But, you know, yeah. you know teaching and stuff, I have to. So I did appreciate when you have to do it. And usually that becomes like your main go-to guy. And Jake yeah. just done metamorphs with uh, Rory, Rory McDonald, I think was who he fought. Yeah. Go out the front desk and I was like, I just need somebody to meet me at like 4.35 o'clock in the morning. 
And she's like, here's the black belts we have. And I was like, damn, that's, they're all at that school. That's an impressive list. And she's like, yeah, she's like, here's the fight. This guy, this guy. And I was like, who's willing to do it? She's like, JT's right here. We'll meet you in the morning. And dude, the guy was so cool. And I came back here a bunch of times and my buddy, Alex, who, uh, you know, you've been mm-hmm. shooting now. Everybody was so cool there. Everybody like, you know, I still talk to a lot of the guys there. Awesome. Um, you brought down there have been great. But how did you find uh, Atos? How did you transfer from training at Gold Gym to being part of one of the most successful and well-known jiu-jitsu schools in the world right now? Well, you know, for me, and, and again, it just shows you the world and, and how, how things just happen. So for about a year while I was just kind of passively doing jiu-jitsu in Manhattan Beach, it was just a hobby and something I really loved. And, and like most competitive people, when you're not really good at something, you work harder to be better at it. Um, and you know, jujitsu is, is not something that is uh, super easy for anybody. You know, you have to, it's like anything else. You have to pay your dues and put your time in, you know, there is no magic bullet when people say, well, how do you become a, a world champion? Train, train, and then lose a lot and then try to win more than you lose and then try to win all the time. Um, but that doesn't happen overnight. So while I was in California, um, I became very good friends with a girl named Luciana. And at that time, she was dating, uh, who's now a very good friend of mine, Wellington Megaton Diaz. And Megaton is a legend in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu world. Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he has fought in more world championships, both at the adult level and the master's level, than any other black belt in the history of competitive jiu-jitsu. Uh, you know, he's 56 years old, and he's a legend. He's still fighting in adult divisions and getting on the podium. And he still pretty much always wins the world title in the master's division. And if he doesn't win, he's on the podium. So it's probably safe to say he's arguably one of the best competitive jiu-jitsu black belts in the world. Well, he and I met through Luca and became really good friends. So Megaton at the time, really, he's a very physical guy. He loved working out and I was really into running on the beach and I was running stadium stairs and we just had enough in common that we hit it off. So when he would come to visit Luca, he would get together with me and we would go run on the beach. We'd go lift weights. Then I remember we would go back to Luca's apartment and move the furniture. And we would have all out battles on the living room floor, me, a blue belt and him already a world champion black belt. And, you know, he would beat the crap out of me. And then he would take the time to say, let me show you what you did wrong. So next time I don't get you in that move. And, and that's kind of what really started my next level journey in jiu-jitsu. And then from there, Megaton suggested that I should train with Hickson Gracie. And Hickson at the time had a school just outside of L.A. Uh, and Megaton was with Hickson and Hoyler Gracie. So I started training at the Hickson school. I ultimately got my blue belt from Hickson. But in all fairness, Hickson was traveling a lot and fighting in pride. So I rarely ever saw him and rarely actually took a class from him. It was usually one of his black belts underneath him, but it was still the legendary Hickson Gracie Jiu-Jitsu school. And uh, so from there, then I transferred over. I started training with uh, uh, Fabricio Verdun, UFC champion Verdun, and an incredible, incredible black belt world champion and professor by the name of Marcio Corletta. And they had both received their black belt under Master Silvio Baring of the Baring family. So I began training with them and I got, uh, I moved to Brazil and I, as a blue belt and trained with Fabricio Verdun and Marcio Corletta, Mario Hayes, who was a multiple time world champion. He was training with us. And this is going back now 
this is 20 years ago in uh, 2000, 2001, when we were all just blue belts and purple belts and um, just having wars all day long on, on the map. And from there, I really began to fall in love with competition jujitsu. I loved jujitsu, but I, I always wanted to see, well, is, does, you know, how good am I or how good am I not? So when I went to Brazil that first time, unlike America then, differently now, but 20 years ago, there wasn't a jujitsu tournament every weekend in America. In Brazil, there's one every weekend somewhere. So we would spend the whole summer, me, Mario Hayes, Marcio Corletta, Fabrizio Verdun, just getting in our car and driving around Brazil, going from small town to small town, fighting in jujitsu tournaments. You know, hear me speaking no Brazilian, them speaking no English, but we understood the language of jujitsu. You know, go, stop, win, lose, try harder, good luck. You know, so um, I just started competing, competing, competing. And then when I finally got to the black belt level, I, I really wanted to be able to compete at the highest level. And I remember uh, in 19, in 2016, I was fighting in San Jose at the San Jose Open in the IBJJF as a black belt. And I met there, um, a, a very, now one of my favorite training partners and good friends, uh, Otto's black belt by the name of Lucas Barboza, the Hulk. And uh, this was before he was the Hulk. He was also an up and coming young black belt. And we met at the San Jose Open. I won the master's division and he won the adult division. Um, and we were sitting in the stands very close to each other. And he, um, you know, very flatteringly turned to me and said, hey, man, I, I saw your fight, man. That was awesome. I can't believe you're a master. And I said, oh, man, I saw your fight. You're unbelievable. I said, oh, man, I, your guard pass is the best in the world. So we just started talking. And you know how jujitsu guys are. You put 100 guys in a room. If only two of them do jujitsu, before the night's over, they'll find each other. <laughs> and that's how Lucas and I found each other at a tournament. We exchanged numbers and he said, you know, you should come train with me at Autos. And, you know, he started telling me about, you know, we have Keenan Cornelius there, Andre Galvan, JT Torres. Um, you know, he went down the, the who's who of the best black belts in the world. And I said, man, that would be awesome. I'll have to come visit you sometime. So a couple of months later, I went to California for like a week. And I went and trained at Atos. And from the moment I stepped on the mat, everybody made me feel like I was already part of the team. And after a week of training with the best in the world and, and realizing how incredibly talented they are and, and what an incredible room full of individuals, each black belt champion in there was different in their own right, but they were all champions. And uh, at the end of the week, Professor Galvan said, said to me, Peter, you should, I would like you to fight for our team. Would you like to be on Autos? And I said, wow, professor, what an honor. I, I would love to be on Autos. And lo and behold, six months later, I moved to Coronado, California, started training three times a day at Autos. Within a couple months, professor Galvan asked me if I would like to be a, actually be a teacher and a professor there, which was, even though I was older than everybody else was still a huge honor for me because here in a room full of world champions, arguably one of the best competitors in the world said, Hey, I'd like you to teach at my school. And, and I began teaching there and, and, and it's been now, it's been almost four and a half years. And, and I have to tell you, I'm, I'm so proud to be a member of Atos and so proud to represent Atos and professor Galvan. But I, I think what I'm most proud of is the fact that I get to step on the mat with some of the very, very best in the world. And I give them my best and they give me their best. Most of the time they kick the crap out of me. But every so often I get a couple good good submissions in there. 
Dude, that's some resume. The anybody listening to this that doesn't follow jujitsu as as much as we do, those names that you said are all each individual one is a legend yeah. and champion in its own right. And to rattle off all those different people that you've trained with. And then for people who don't know, you said Megaton Diaz, his daughter now is a very famous UFC fighter, Mackenzie. Sure. So I mean yeah, a sidebar, just a funny sidebar, because I've known Megaton for so long. Uh, I knew Mackenzie when she was two, three years old. Um, you know, I, I literally, you know, changed her diapers and helped babysit her a few times. So I've watched this very young baby grow up to be, you know, one of the best female fighters in the UFC, grow up to be a, an IBJJF black belt world champion, literally to grow up in, in her father's footsteps and even exceed what her legendary father did. And so in the world now, people look at, oh, you know, you know, Mackenzie, Mackenzie Dern, Mackenzie Dern. Yes, she is Mackenzie Dern, the black belt champion and the UFC fighter. But I remember her when she was just little Mackenzie running around the living room and spilling her Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. So which might tell you how old I am or maybe just I've been around for a long time. I also want to give a shout out to my buddy Gary Roberts. He has a podcast called Good Dudes Grow. Check it out. It is on iTunes. He is a firefighter and also has a podcast, again, specializing in CBD, hemp, uh, marijuana products, all kinds of things I have said over and over again during this podcast that I'm a huge fan of CBD and the effects that I've had from it uh, on a positive positive note. And there's also a lot of misconceptions and bad information and uh, bad products out there. So I think having a podcast like he has, Good Dudes Grow with Gary Roberts, again, on iTunes and other platforms, you can get it. Uh, check it out. I'll put a link for it in my show notes as well for this episode with Pete Iacobazzi. But uh, I think you'll be surprised if you have some misconceptions about um, these products and what they can do for you or what some of the side effects are versus some of the things you've heard in the past. There's a lot of, again, misconceptions that have been around for a long time. So I think having a podcast like this with some really good information um, for yourself and for good, positive, actual, factual information that we can spread to others is really important. So check it out. Good Dudes Grow, Gary Roberts podcast. Firefighter, great guy, great podcast. Check it out, link in show notes. Well, that was actually going to lead me to my next question. So you look outstanding for your age. I, Mark, Mark uh, Turner and Brad Johns won't really tell me, but uh, I assume you're over 40. So my next yes. question is going to be, you know, training with, um, I think the first time I met you, you came down to Mark Turner's uh, BJJ Lab Naperville um, with Jonathan Gracie, who was, uh, I think he, he was 20. If, if even that, but, you know, being at a place that you're training with world champions every day, and then you have these young competitive killers and you're teaching and you're rolling and you're training and doing all these things. How do you keep yourself from being injured or being able to keep the pace? And like, what are some things somebody like myself who just turned 40 can do to have longevity on the mats without, you know, burning yourself out or overtraining or destroying your body? And you know, how do you, how do you keep that longevity in jujitsu physically and mentally? You know, I'll give you the secrets that have only worked for me, but I've shared them with other, let's say, middle-aged grapplers like us. And uh, these are the things I would tell you. You know, it is true. You're really only as old as you feel. If you're 30 years old and you're sitting on the couch and drinking beer all day and not exercising and not eating healthy and not taking care of yourself, your driver's license may say you're 30, but your body may feel 60. And for me, I'm now in my 50s. But what I do is, and I try to eat a very clean and healthy diet. I'm, I'm not crazy. I still love to go out and have a pizza on a Friday night and 
you know, sometimes maybe too many bottles of wine or glasses of wine. But for the most part, I try to stay very regimented. Monday through, let's say, Friday, I eat very clean. Um, I work with an excellent nutritionist who helps me with my diet. I work with some of the best strength coaches in the country, both strength coaches in the military and strength coaches I have met over the years through mixed martial arts and jujitsu. So I have a, a pretty eclectic mix of workouts that I do. Uh, some are for endurance, some are for strength, some are for mobility. Um, I try to get massages as often as I can. Uh, I'll go visit a chiropractor. I'm a big, big fan of cryotherapy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm relatively clean. I, I mean, I don't do drugs and um, I do drink, but I don't drink a lot. Uh, I'm certainly not embarrassed to say that at my age now, um, I do what a lot of men, let's say over the age of 40 do. I work with an endocrinologist who's a hormone doctor. So I do take a low dose of testosterone replacement therapy, TRT, certainly not the dose that let's say a 25-year-old bodybuilder would take, but I take enough so that my testosterone level may not be that of a 50-year-old man, may be more like that of, let's say, a 35-year-old man or a 30-year-old man. And I can tell you, um, for anybody out there who's looking to possibly get a little bit of an edge or just say, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm 45, but I don't want to, I want to do all these things. It's, it's worth getting your testosterone level checked. And it's worth talking to a doctor who specializes in that and finding out if maybe testosterone supplementation might be something for you. It, uh, you know, five years ago, you didn't really want to talk about it because people thought, oh, you're taking steroids. But anybody who knows about TRT knows you're not taking steroids. You're, you're taking a hormone replacement at a, at a smaller level to help your body a little bit better than it could on its own. So, you know, when you combine all of that with just a good mindset and, you know, look, you're the great saying in life, you know, show me who you surround yourself with and I can tell you who you're going to end up to be. So for me, when I'm training at Atos or when I'm training with my team, I'm not rolling with guys that are 50. I'm rolling with guys that are all 20 and they're all world champions and they're all killers. And, and to their credit, they don't go easy on me because I'm 50 and they're 20. In fact, sometimes I think they go harder on me. Um, uh, Ronaldo Jr. is one of my favorite training partners. And, and I always say, Ronaldo, why do you go so hard on me? He says, and my nickname is Kuro. I says, Kuro, because I love you. I don't want, if I go easy, you won't think I love you. So you know how jujitsu is, you know that. I'm not there for them to treat me with kid gloves. I want to train with the best in the world and I want them to bring the best in the world. So, you know, when you, when you put yourself in that environment and you try to maintain that healthy mindset and you try to take care of your body, you know, it, it's fair to say you can't stop father time, but I think you can slow the hands a little bit. And that's what I've done. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real Mackenzies, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he has also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, 
to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word DRUMMER, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson. That's awesome, man. It definitely shows anybody who's trained with you. Um, you obviously don't feel like you're over 50. And I think that, that that whole stigma of like 40 and 50 and even 60 year olds now, you know, there, there's black belts that are, are at Sarah's that I've trained with that yeah. you know, are well into their 60s. And on my best day, I can't do anything to them, you know? And oh. you know, you got, you got, Rogan says it all the time. I remember he had Kevin Smith on and they were like, remember growing up worrying about becoming 50? Like, it's awesome. What, what were we so worried about? You know, and I think Matt Sarah's 47. Our mutual yeah. friend, Matt, who I just trained with, he, he's in his mid-50s. The guy's strong as an ox. He can roll oh, hours. He's technical. He's strong. He kicks the crap out of me. Is no problem, uh, you know, holding his own with the young guns. So, again, I, I agree. I think taking care of yourself. I think where, where the difference is, a lot of guys, when I was younger, you go out all night, you drink all night, you hang out with a chick yeah. all night, and then you stumble into jujitsu for the 9.30 a.m. nogi class. And, you know, the rooms thinks like weed and booze and stuff. Like, I'm not able to do that. Any, like, I, I literally, like you said, I, I have to watch my diet. Like, it all adds up all week or I won't get it in there. But, uh, you know, what I would add to that, and, and, you know, I think anybody, let's say, over the age of 40, should, if they don't agree with this, they probably should. There is great truth to sometimes you need to train smarter, not harder. And I tell people on the days you're sore and you don't quite have it because maybe you're 45 and you've got some arthritis or you're tired or you've had a stressful week at work, go to the gym, of course, and train. But that might not, might not be the day to go for your max and your bench press. It might not be the day to ask Professor Andre Galvan, roll with me 100%. It might be the day maybe to roll with some lower rank belts and put yourselves in, in a compromising position where maybe you can negate the rank by working more on your defense and less on your offense. And on the days when you feel great, when you're well-rested, well-hydrated, and you feel like, you know, I've got a lot of gas in my tank, maybe that's the day I'm going to go challenge Lucas Barboza for an all-out war. And if it's going to be a 10-minute match, which is usually the case at Atos, for the first four or five minutes, I'm holding my own. But then the next five minutes, I'm reminded that he's Lucas Barboza and I'm in my 50s. So, you know, and, and that's why even in sport jujitsu, the time limit is different for adults and masters. When people ask me, you know, what's the difference between, you know, fighting a world champion adult black belt and our mutual friend Dave Patton, a phenomenal black belt who's my age and fighting a Dave Patton. Their only difference is I fight Lucas for 10 minutes. I fight Dave for five. You know, Dave is is strong. He's athletic. His jujitsu is phenomenal. It's so phenomenal that, you know, and I hope Dave is watching this. I fought him in the uh, absolute finals of the Nogi Pan Ams. And and we talked before. And, you know, like, like all most of our guys, definitely like Sarah guys, he was awesome. Like he came over. We were laughing. We were talking. We knew we were going to have a war for five minutes. But we knew up until that point, we were two 50-year-old guys just happy to be out there. And we went out there and, you know, I mean, we stood on our feet for about two and a half minutes and, and my wrestling was enough to keep me on my feet. But, you know, Dave is a big, strong, physically good guy and he's kind of short. So I, I could not take him down. And both of us got a warning from the referee because something had to happen. And one of the most amazing things for me in competition was here, this 225 pound guy pulled guard on me, you know, and big guys don't really do that, especially, you know, at that level. 
Dave pulled guard on me and I pride myself in being a guard passer. And I went right to his guard and the pass was on and we were going, going, going. Next thing I know, I was tapping to a knee bar I'd never seen before. Never. No, no world champion at Autos had ever done that knee bar to me. And, and afterwards, you know, I tapped and I lost and Dave was gracious and humble. But walking off the mat, I realized that, you know, here's a guy that could come to Autos right now and could train with all of those black belt world champions and would hold his own and would, would uh, definitely be a great representative of Matt Sarah and the school and where he trains from. So, you know, the only difference is, you know, Dave and I only had a five minute fight. That's all. You know, I can't say I can't say that there's that much of a difference, you know. So he, he always says great things about you. And he always reminds me that you do have a win over my other friend, Kurt Osiander. So that, that's a big gap <laughs> right there, man. <laughs> I do. Well, you know, the nice thing, the nice thing about competing, I compete in both the adult and the master's division. One of the nice things about competing in the master's division is that you get to black belts that have been around for a long time and that have had great reputations, great credibility, and at least in the small jujitsu world, they're celebrities. You know, Kurt Osiander, probably one of the biggest celebrities in all of jujitsu. And I was lucky enough to fight Kurt in the finals of the Pan Americans in 2016. And, and make no mistake about it, it was a five-minute war. I was fortunate enough to win, but what I found so funny about that day is, you know, here I had just won the, you know, Black Belt Division Pan American Championships, IBJJF, in front of a packed house. I just beat Kurt Osiander, and I was so excited. Over at the podium, there were dozens and dozens of people lining up to take a selfie with Kurt Osiander. Nobody even knew who I was. <laughs> so what did I do? I got in line and took a selfie with Kurt Osiander. Nice. Did he give you the patented crooked finger up? Like, you know, of course, you know. He gave the crooked finger, the middle finger, you know, he, you know, rah, you know, and he told, and I said to him afterwards, I said, you know, are you going to stay around and fight the absolute? Cause I like to fight the absolute. He goes, no, nope, I've had enough. I'm going to go home. He goes, I, and I quote, I've got a date with a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> Classic Kurt Osiander. I mean, the thing I, I love about Kurt and we've become friends since that day, what you see is what you get. You know, mm -hmm. Kurt Osiander doesn't play a character. He plays himself. You know, and uh, I, I just I can't say enough good things about guys like Dave Patton and Kurt Osiander and Megaton Diaz, all these guys that I've fought, you know, in, in their own right, they're legends in our sport. And some of them I've beaten, some of them I've lost to. But I always be able to say, wow, you know, I competed against a legend. You know, this, this, you'll love this story. So a few years ago at the, uh, the uh, European Championships in uh, 2019, there's a very famous black belt named Helvesio Neto. And when I tell you he's famous, trust me, he's like a god in Brazil for, for good reason. I believe he is the original De La Hiva. He is one of De La Hiva's first, if not first, black belt. And Helvesio Neto is, he's in his 50s, um, and he's just an incredible man. And he's a master. He's a red belt master, I believe. And he was there competing at the Europeans in my class, medium heavy. I didn't know who he was, but I, I was watching throughout the day, this, this kind of gray haired man. And I noticed all day long, every world champion black belt in that building came over and literally paid their respect to him. Like he was the godfather of jujitsu. And I thought, wow, this, this guy must be somebody really special. You know, I just didn't know. So we, uh, it, it has it worked out 
we were bracketed at an operate size of the bracket because depending upon your ranking in IBJJF, and we were both ranked very high, they don't put two top rankers on the same side. They put you on opposite sides in the hopes that you might get to the finals to maybe make a good fight. So we both had really good fights. We both made it into the finals. And I didn't really watch his fights because I would fight and I'd go off the mat and Professor Galvan would coach, tell me what I did wrong, what I should work on for the next fight. And then he would fight. So then all of a sudden it was the finals. And I said to Professor Galvan, who am I fighting? He goes, oh, you're, you're fighting that guy. And he just pointed to Alessio Neto. I didn't, I didn't know who he was. And I, and I saw, you know, what I saw was kind of an older guy with gray hair and just, he didn't look like, you know, ah, oh, man. And, and my first inclination was, you know, all day long, everybody had been so respectful to him. He's clearly somebody very special. And my first inclination was, well, I don't want to go hard on him. I don't want to hurt him because, you know, he, he's a very special man here and I might not get out of here alive. So I said, I said to Galvan, Professor Galvan, who's standing next to me, I said, Professor, you know, should I go easy on him? He, he looks like I, I don't want to hurt him. And Galvan, he smiled because he didn't want me to know who he was. He smiled and put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Kador, go out there and give it all you got. <laughs> so as I was walking to the mat, Megaton had just walked off because he had just won his division and he wanted to watch me fight. And I said to him, I, he goes, who are you fighting? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm fighting that guy. I think his name is Hevesio. And Megaton's eyes lit up and he goes, oh, man, this guy's a legend. <laughs> so, so as I got to the end of the mat, I thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't have underestimated this guy. <laughs> so long story short, we go out on the mat and, and the guy was incredible, just incredible, incredible black belt. Uh, I managed to get uh, a takedown and I believe the guard pass. I don't remember the exact score. What I can remember is that for five minutes, not only was I fighting a legend, I was fighting a guy that is capable of beating any black belt in the world on any given day. And when the match was over, it dawned on me, wow, this guy was has probably been a world champion when I was still in high school. He was an incredible man. And when the match was over, like very much like with Kurt Osiander, even though I had the gold medal, everybody was shaking his hand, taking pictures with him. I've since seen him at many tournaments since then. Uh, and you know, to his credit, he's respectful, he's humble, he's, he's an incredible man. And it's very easy to see why he's so loved in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu community, because as an individual, he's an exceptional man. As a competitive black belt, he's a phenomenal man. So, so I can always say that no matter what else happens in my life, I can say that on, on a good day, I beat Havesio Neto in the Europeans. <laughs> and he reminds me of that every time I see him. <laughs> nice, nice. It, there's, it, it's very humbling, the, the people that you come across and the interactions. It's not what people would expect at all. Like, I really love the sense of community, and there doesn't seem to be that that uh, chip on your shoulder or anger after, you know, you don't see a lot of guys, the mutual respect, win or lose is always just an amazing thing for me in the jiu-jitsu community. I've seen it for years and I've always appreciated it. But, you know, parlaying that now over to law enforcement, talk a little bit about how this has come together because I remember uh, seeing you and Brad Johns and Mark Turner talking about some of the stuff that you were doing with this before it became a huge issue with yes. all, uh, you know, all the, the political stuff that's behind that you had already been working on training law enforcement for I don't even know how long. So I wasn't even aware that that was really what you guys were doing, but obviously it's more relevant now than it ever sure. had. 
Talk a little bit about how you came into that and what your company is now doing. You know, again, it's just being in the right place at the right time and never expecting what you're going to do. Uh, in 1999, I was a uh, purple belt and I had just come back from Brazil and I was tra- I was training at an academy and a, uh, a young Navy SEAL commander came in. Uh, he was a, a, a commander of a very special SEAL team and he was also an incredible blue belt in jujitsu. And he just happened to come in on a night when I was the guest instructor and on a night when I was rolling with all the students. So we rolled together and you know, just a super humble guy, incredibly accomplished military resume. And after often the case, like similar with you and I, after we were done rolling, we sat and talked for hours and we, what did we want to do? We wanted to go out and get a beer. And that's exactly what we did. So we our, our friendship developed very quickly. And he was going back to Virginia Beach where he was stationed. And he said, hey, if you ever want to come back, you know, all the guys on my team, they love jujitsu and grappling. And, you know, they're not they're not ranked in it, but they really love it. And if you ever would like to come, I would love to have you come out as an instructor. And, you know, I think the guys would really enjoy you. And I think you they would enjoy learning from you. You know, very casual invite. Well, I took them up on it. Uh, I flew out to Virginia Beach uh, a few months later for a couple of weeks. Uh, no formal military training for me. And here I was in a room, 20 very accomplished, incredibly talented Navy SEALs. And they just wanted to learn jujitsu and wrestling and, and what I was doing at the time. And they were like, like every SEAL I've ever met, their entire goal is to be the best at whatever they do. So if I showed them an arm bar, boy, they wanted to see, is there any way to make it better? If I showed them a takedown, they wanted to make sure before the week was over, they took everybody down. So it was so fun training them. I got invited back. And I just kept training them and working with them. And, and that those friendships developed. And then as I was leaving, they asked me, they said, hey, you know, um, uh, what do you charge per hour? Because we'd never talked about money. And I said, oh, man, this is my gift. I had, this is the best two weeks of my life. I said, no, 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 no. What, you know, what, what is your hourly rate? And at that time, you know, whatever my rate may have been for a private, let's say it was uh, $10 an hour. <laughs> I said, well, you know, I, I charge $10 an hour for a private. And, you know, the, 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 the commander was like, okay, well, you were here for X amount of hours, X amount of days. He said, yeah, I just need your social security number and just fill out this W-2, I think it was. Okay. Yeah, never, I didn't give it a second thought. The next day, we're driving to the airport. He hands me an envelope, you know, and on the envelope, you know, it's Department of the Navy, and it was a check. He said, do me a favor, open this up when you get on the plane. Okay, so got on the plane. I sat down, ordered a, ordered a glass of wine, you know, and they paid for my ticket and uh, opened up the envelope. And and as when I first looked at it, I thought, well, clearly they made a mistake because there's there's another there's a more zeros here than should be here. And when I landed, I called him and I said, hey, you know, I I can't take this. I can't, and I remember saying, I can't take your money. And he said, it's not my money. It's the money of the United. It's the United States government's money, and you were worth it. You know, and you should think about doing this more often. And at the time, I, I wasn't, that's not where my head was. You know, I, I was just like, man, I got this train with SEALs for two weeks. And it was awesome. You know, and, and now they want to pay me. So, you know, it didn't take too long to connect the dots. I began to realize, you know, here's an incredible group of men that are eager to learn. And here's a skill that I had that they wanted to learn. And, and there are such things as contractors that the government pays to train to give your best to their best so i they said my friend said do you mind if i give your contact information uh actually this was pre-cell phone 
said, do you mind if I give your email out to some other teams that we train with? And over the course of the next few months and years, I would just randomly get an email from a SEAL team or maybe a, a Marine recon team or something and just say, hey, you know, I've heard a little bit about your jujitsu and training. Uh, would you be available possibly to come out and do some training with our guys? Very informal. It was nothing formal at all. And I, of course, and I would go out and I would try to teach what I knew that I thought would apply to what they do. And the more I did it, the more I realized there were certain aspects of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and our submission grappling that were very applicable to a, a special operations soldier in combat or what they call downrange. And obviously, maybe pulling guard in the middle of the desert and going for a triangle is not what they needed to learn. But a single leg takedown and neon belly and maybe going for a kimura is very applicable for what they would do in real life. So I began to adjust that le- that style of jujitsu and grappling to be less like an IBJJF competitor and more like, okay, well, what does a Navy SEAL need if he's going to have a hand-to-hand altercation with a combatant? And over time, I began working with them and and I would encourage everybody in the world, if you don't know something, ask. And I didn't know. I mean, I, I knew jujitsu and wrestling, but I didn't really know what they needed. So I asked. I said, guys, is there anything you want to learn? Anything special I can help you with? And of course, then they would tell me. And then if I didn't know it, I would go back and meet with friends of mine that maybe were high-level wrestlers, high-level judo players. And I'd say, hey, listen, I'm working with this group of Navy SEALs, and they really want to learn like a good Greco-Roman takedown, maybe from the clinch. And then they would show me a few. And then I would go back and show it to them. And, and from that, from that little mini laboratory, I began to create a military combatives program that I, I've now titled Five by Five Mission Ready. And that program really is just, it's, it's 20 years of trial and error of, of what you and I do every day. You know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, a little bit of MMA, submission, wrestling, and grappling. Call it whatever you want, but what it really is is trying to take the best components of mixed martial arts fighting and giving it to military and now law enforcement in a way that will work for them in a real-life scenario, in a real-life encounter. And that one meeting with the SEAL team in 1999, 21 years later, I still have the great honor and privilege of working with special operations military, now working with federal, state, and local law enforcement. And, you know, my goal is always the same. It's never to go into a room and show them how good I am. It's to go into a room and try to give them the skills to make them as good as they can be. And I think, you, you know, when you're on the mat with somebody who's full of themselves, or somebody who's full of giving themselves to you, you learn pretty quickly who you want to learn from and who you don't want to learn from. So that's really how 5 by 5 Mission Ready became about. Um, I've tried to align myself with the best people possible. I've tried to ask as many questions as I can. Um, I've tried to work with the best teams possible. And I've tried to give them the very best because while I'm not a Navy SEAL and while I'm not a, a police officer, because I work with them, I probably have a much greater respect and admiration for what they really do only because I know what they really do. I know the challenges they face. I know the difficulties they encounter. And I know that if you and I go fight in a jiu-jitsu tournament and we lose, worst case scenario, we go home with a little bit of a bruised ego. Those guys get into a life-threatening encounter and they lose. Worst case scenario, they don't go home at all. 
So it, it, it puts a very great importance on what it is I'm trying to do. I think it's an amazing thing. And, and, and touching on something you just said, I do want to give you a lot of credit for your teaching style, because that was definitely one of the things that I first noticed about you when you got on the mat, was you came out there and you were... Your energy was just very, very gentle for a jujitsu gym and very accommodating. And you could tell that you, you were, you were very soft spoken and very open and, and really took your time walking around and, and asking people if they needed help. And you could tell that you weren't there for yourself. You were really there to pass on knowledge. And, and that a hundred percent showed and was one of the things where I was like, I really like a style of teaching. I feel like I can learn a lot from him. Let, let's train together. And, um, you have a, a very good sense for that. My Thank question, you very much. Definitely would be with the with the current climate without getting too political on it. You know, I had um, who I think I linked you up with now, Aaron Jordan, Aaron Freeman, and um, Mark. Those great, great guys, awesome guys, and they're doing um, Endeavor One. After I put that uh, that episode out, I got some people messaging me about it, and you know, some of them were just idiots. You know, anti cop that with no real bearing on it. That I was like, whatever, man, deleted. But there was a couple of them that were like, you know. This doesn't really help with the situation where a guy's on on um, on dust and he's, he's going crazy and he's flying around like jujitsu isn't going to save you there. And I, I get where he's coming from, but I think that people hold on to this one or two exception. Nothing's going to work all the time, but overall, I think what it's doing is 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 it's giving not only. I would say confidence to the person doing it that like the old Mr. Miyagi thing, like learn, you learn karate so you don't have to fight. I think when you enable them with that power in themselves of like, I am able to control somebody. I don't have the insecurity of like, what do I do if I get in a fight? I, I take out my gun and freak out, whether it's in combat or it's on the streets. Um, I think it's amazing that when you're talking about Navy SEALs, the average person would assume that somebody who's a freaking Navy SEAL has to at least be a black belt first degree in jujitsu. And to learn that most of them are not, and probably, I mean, I haven't trained with that many Navy SEALs, but your average decent blue belt or purple belt in a hand-to-hand competition could probably submit them. I think there's a huge misconception of how dangerous they are. And I think implementing something like jujitsu and giving them that tool and the fact that that's not mandatory just blows me away. You know, I, I mean, you, you touched upon so many great things. First, let me say thank you for the compliment. And, and I mean that because, you know, winning world titles and being a black belt and being a Pan-American champion, those are things I did for me. But being able to share my knowledge and teach, that's what I do for you. And that's what I do for my students. And look, you're, you're a Matt Sarah black belt. You've taken privates with JT Torres. You know, those are guys that I look up to. Those are guys whose style I try to, to emulate. So, so thank you for that compliment. You have no idea how humbling it is to hear that from somebody who's literally trained with the best in the world. So thank you. Um, with regards to what we talked about, you know, it, being a Navy SEAL doesn't mean you're going to be a black belt or world champion in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It means that in your chosen field, which is warfare, you are the best of the best in so many things, whether it be uh, swimming, I, bombs, whether it be driving a tank, whether it be jumping out of a helicopter, firing a rifle. You know, they have to do so many things so well that it's very difficult for them to master any one thing because their job is so eclectically demanding. You know, no, no combat scenario is ever the same from time to time. It changes constantly. 
it evolves for them. And that's why as great warriors, they're continually training. You know, when a SEAL is not deployed and not literally going out, you know, fighting bad guys, he's training. He's training all day long to be better at what he does. Um, giving them the skill of, let's say, a little bit of judo, a little bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, a little bit of boxing, you're giving them skills that may save their life in a life-threatening scenario. They're not training to be a black belt and to go to an IBJJF tournament and win a gold medal. Maybe when they retire, they might, because that's something they might want to pursue. They're trying to get from you the real bread and butter, the meat and potatoes of what you have to offer that they may be able to learn well enough and do effectively enough to potentially save their life or the life of a team member in a, a life-threatening scenario. Um, so when people ask me, you know, do you think cops should train Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Do you think Navy SEALs should train Brazilian jiu-jitsu? My answer is yes, for several reasons. Yes, because I train Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I understand like you do and like anybody watching this podcast, there are some tremendous benefits from Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Is it the one be-all mixed martial art? No, it's not. Because if that were the case, then every jiu-jitsu world champion would equally be a UFC world champion. You know, we, we both know and love Mark Turner. Mark is a black belt under Damian Maia. Damian Maia, easily one of the best Brazilian black belts that ever played the game. But when he crossed over into mixed martial arts, he didn't rely on his jiu-jitsu. He learned how to strike. He learned how to do takedowns. If you watch him fight, it's clear that Brazilian jiu-jitsu is his dominant part of the game. But make no mistake, he's a very dangerous striker. He understands takedowns, and he's a very well-rounded fighter. So when people ask me, what is the best martial art for law enforcement or for military, I always yield to mixed martial arts. I say, rather than look at the best martial art, why not look at the best fighting style? And I think now, because of the UFC and because of MMA, I think we can at least settle the debate, well, Kung Fu is better than karate, or my Kung Fu is better than your Kung Fu. There is no one perfect Kung Fu. What there are are so many great martial arts, and each one offers something that will make you an exceptional fighter. And if you learn the best of each one of those, and you can combine them into a style that works for you, now you have the ability to be, whether it's a great MMA fighter or when it, you're talking about military and law enforcement, you now have the ability to survive and potentially, hopefully, have a positive outcome when your weapon goes cold or when your weapon goes down and you have to rely on what they call a close quarter combat situation or a hand-to-hand -hand combat situation. And trust me when I tell you, that's not the goal. When a SEAL team breaches a room, it's not the goal when a police officer is pulling over a Friday night DUI. He's not looking to shoot him, and he's not looking to have a fist fight with him on the side of the interstate. But unfortunately, that happens. And we're seeing now, because of social media and because of uh, iPhones and cameras, we're seeing now more and more of that. I think it's probably always been there. But now, if we want to see a police officer fail or a police officer fight, we can just YouTube it. And, you know, so now we're beginning to see a glimpse into their world and their, and their world isn't always as cut and dry as driver's license and registration, please. You know? So I think that by introducing mixed martial arts, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, maybe wrestling, maybe some striking to law enforcement personnel, you know, the misconception is 
The idea is not to make them lethal weapons. Actually, no, it's not. The idea is to give them one more tool on their belt to potentially save their own life while they perform a job that literally is could be life threatening. So, and I, so you know, without getting too long winded, any law enforcement officer watching this, or any Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor watching this, you know, I would welcome them to to invite law enforcement or military to their academies to train, but but try to be try to look at it very objectively and understand that it's great to teach a student how to do a uh, omoplata or a triangle in next weekend's tournament. But that may not be the optimal the optimal move for a police officer at 3 a.m. on the side of an interstate at a traffic stop. So maybe the best move for him might simply be something as basic as learning how to stay on your feet, avoiding a takedown, learning how to do a body clench, maybe how to do a foot sweep on 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 the bad guy and learning how to just maintain pressure to keep him on the ground, to calm him down long enough maybe for a backup to arrive, long enough maybe for the situation to calm down, or worst worst case scenario, long enough for you to disengage to possibly rely on a weapon. So there there are ways to teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to a young 16-year-old that wants to be a black belt world champion, and there are ways to teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to a 30-year-old police officer. And um, while there are some similarities, there are also a lot of contrasts in it as well. That was probably the best answer I've ever heard for that question. Oh, thank you very much. Very nice. Thank you. No, again, you know, the- I hang out with you all day. Can we do <laughs> this all day? You may, I'm feeling really good about myself right now. Yeah, good. I'm doing my job here then. Um, you know, it's funny because there, there is generalities that I think are important. Like, you know, obviously, I don't think that every cop is a good cop for sure, but to, to say that they're all bad is ridiculous. I mean, and especially to hear it from guys that are jujitsu and MMA guys that I train with and want to be like, hey, look at half your training partners for the last 10 years. They're law enforcement and military. Like, what are you doing? But, you know, I, I think um, when you have a certain thing, like, like what you just said, I never thought of with a Navy SEAL, the amount of stuff that they have to do, they can't just train and focus on jujitsu when they have to learn all these other things. And this podcast is actually sponsored by a Navy SEAL, William Brannon. He's the owner of Naked Warrior Recovery CBD. He awesome. lives in now. So I want to put this out there that I think he needs to hire five by five submission training to come out there, mission ready, to come out there to Honolulu, do maybe I a lot. And I feel like you should head it and I should be your guest instructor. I'm you know what? him up tell him to watch this give him my number let's go to hawaii and train with some seals yeah i love it i mean it, it just i i had just read david goggins book right before oh. i um right before i did the podcast with him and he was so humble about it and i wanted to be like dude i, I didn't want to be the guy who was like tell me all the because you know we wanted to talk cbd and stuff but i was like man i can't imagine after reading that book the stuff that he did that i know you did and he was like man part of my unit he was there with um someone like the most famous like the, the guy who killed bin laden and I was like, man, what this guy has been through and his his humble demeanor of like, yeah, I'm just a guy. It's just, you know, I was like, no, you're not, dude. Like you're freaking you're a superhero, you're the Terminator. But he didn't, you know, it's just another one of those things like the uh, you hear early in life getting into jujitsu, like the guys that are really hurt you, you'll never know. They're the nicest yeah. guys in the world. And I was like, that's guys like you and guys like William Brandon that you just, you know, he doesn't need jujitsu because he'll kill you before you even get within five feet of him. Oh, yeah. We've all heard the saying in life, you know, actions will speak louder than words. 
I don't need to go out to a bar on Friday night and wear my Atos t-shirt and pound my chest and remind everybody there I'm a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. In fact, I try to avoid that conversation unless it's another black belt, another, another jiu-jitsu guy. Um, you know, and, and this for me, almost across the board, whether it's an army ranger, whether it's a Navy SEAL, whether it's a, a SF operator, you know, these are incredible individuals. These are men that have dedicated their lives to protecting you and me dedicated their lives to potentially giving their life for people they're never going to meet, never going to know, and who likely will never know them. So that in of itself should speak volumes about the character of that kind of man. And then to endure the training that they go through, both physically, emotionally, psychologically, and to know that not only did they go through it, they excelled through it. And once they get out, once they go through butts, once they become a SEAL and get their trident, their training begins. It doesn't end there, like a black belt. You get your black belt, that's not the end of the journey. That's the next step of the journey. And what I love about these guys is, you know, they're humble, they're incredible. They really do, they believe in that, in what they're told, I will defend this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And I tell this to people all the time, and this is not, you know, my my soapbox plug for the military or for law enforcement. But I would tell anybody this. If you meet a guy who gets up in the morning and before he goes to work, he loads his gun and puts on his Kevlar vest, he's not doing it because he wants to look cool in the street. He's doing it because there's a very real chance that during the course of his day, whether he's a SEAL overseas or your local police officer, there's a chance that during the course of his or her day, they may rely on that weapon to save their life. They may rely on that vest to save their life. So when they kiss their wife and children, whether they're going overseas on a deployment or whether they're going to work around the corner uh, on a, as a police officer, there's always a moment, always in the back of their mind where this may be the last time I ever kiss my wife and kids goodbye. Now, that doesn't make them better than you or me. But it does speak a little bit about to their character, about who they are, because contrary to popular belief, Navy SEALs and police officers don't get paid millions of dollars to do what they do. Most of them do it because they love it, because they're driven to do it, and because genuinely they have a tremendous need to want to serve. They, they are the sheepdogs of our society, and, and I believe they should be given more respect for that alone because they're willing to sacrifice everything for people that have never met them and that they've never met. That takes a very special individual to do that. I 100% agree with you. I have an extreme amount of respect and law enforcement and gratitude for military for exactly those reasons. And uh, it's, it's a very thankless job in many cases. And I've come yeah. across tons of them over the years, all over the country through jujitsu, like I'm sure you have. And they're always the coolest guys, always, you know, just good yeah. dudes, tough very tough dudes always. So um, I <laughs> sharing that and what you're doing is, is awesome. Um, I won't yeah, take well, that. I know you got stuff you can do. Go ahead. Go ahead. Say, I'm sorry. I missed. I lost you there. Say that again. No, I said I, I, would, I don't want to take up your whole day. I know you got stuff you have to do, but I was saying that those those guys are always very tough. You know, like I'll be like, man, I went to Gracie Torrance. I remember specifically and I wrote with this one guy and I'm like, man, like that freaking guy was an animal. Like he kicked the shit out of me. And they were like, oh yeah, he's special ops. This one's this, this one's that. I'm like, oh, all right. It's like, cause a madman. Anyway. So it just, you just trained you know, him. They're, you know? they're high speed guys. You know, they all have kind of, 
certain branches of the military will call them certain things, but you know, they're they're theoretically they're boots on the ground. They're 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 door kickers. You know, when the job needs to be done, those are the guys that go in and get the job done. That's their mentality. It, to a certain extent, they run on a different type of adrenaline than you and I run on. And they tend to run on that adrenaline in all they do. You know, I always tell when I when I know I'm gonna go train uh jujitsu to a group of marine recons or a group of SEALs. What they may lack in technical wrestling or jiu-jitsu skills, they will more than make up with in tenacity, adrenaline, and enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like Mark Turner, uh, Shane, I know, is a Marine guy over there. Yeah. Good group over there, man. So I, I like to do what we call the uh, the victory lap, where we have some final questions here before we let you go about your day. You've been very generous cool. as always. So my first question for you is, is it true? that you are a former Gillette model and are possibly training Brad Johns to follow in your footsteps. I've seen some pictures. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, it is true. Um, in 1993 and 94, um, I landed the TV commercial for Gillette Razor. I was one of several Gillette faces. So, yes, I did the Gillette Razor TV commercial. After that commercial aired and then you had like a one year, it expired. I then was signed by Norelco Razors, and I was face of Gillette, and then later on the face of Norelco. Um, I don't pretend to be exceptionally handsome, certainly not like a Mark Turner or a Brad Johns or a David Patton. But yeah, right now, uh, Brad Johns is coming to me for jujitsu lessons, but also we're working on his ability to take a better selfie. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. And I mean, Mark and Brad, yes, but I mean, Pat will be the first one to tell you. We, we all know he's an ugly guy. So if you're listening to this, Pat, you're very ugly. <laughs> well, listen, if you're going to say that to Pat, don't let him know I said that. <laughs> and whatever, don't let that guy anywhere near your knees. <laughs> no, he's, he attacked me pretty good. I'm still sore from last week. Um, I think being that you travel not only all over the country, uh, but all over the world, training different people, training yourself, experiencing all these different cultures. What is a, a lesson that you've taken away that stuck with you from all these years of just being experienced and, and seeing all these different cultures and different people? You know, I'm going to give you something that I think probably more so than ever, all of America needs to hear. You know, this is not a political a political stand or a political statement. But I think right now, America is a little bit broken and America is a little bit divided. And I think that's an understatement. This is what I will tell you from having traveled all over the world, been to places that I can't wait to go back to and been to some places where I hope I never have to go to again. But this is for every American watching this podcast. Every country I've ever been to, ever, and I, I mean this, Nick, when I have met the people of those countries, and most of them have been incredibly warm and loving and kind people, even in countries where we're told that they may not be friendly to Americans. This is what I universally hear all the time. And I quote, you're American. Oh my God, America. I love America. One day I want to live in America. I want to go to America. You're my American friend. This is what it's taught me most of all. And, and maybe this is something that maybe for a moment we can take a deep breath and all of America can, can listen to this. Everywhere I go in the world, people love America. They love Americans. They love the ideal of what America is. They love the belief of what they think America is. And they all want to come here. So there must be a pretty good reason for that. 
You know, right now, maybe we are divided. And right now, maybe we might be going in directions we don't want to go. But I think if we took a moment and forgot, we're not red, we're not white. We're red, white, and blue. You know, we, we're America. We're Americans. And whether we know it or not right now, everybody in the world wants to be here, wants to come here. And I think now's a great time for America to remember that. Have some pride in your country. Have some pride in your flag. Have some pride and love and respect for your neighbor. Because at the end of the day, I don't care if my neighbor is liberal or conservative or black and white. I care that he's an American like me. And, and that's what I've learned from traveling the world is that sometimes other countries see America greater than we see ourselves. That's what I've learned, brother. That's great, man. I love that. Well said. Two, two final thoughts for you. One, knowing what you know now about life, if you had a time machine and a younger Pete Yokovazzi, did I say it right that time? Close enough. Pete Yokovazzi. I was way off the first time. Um, came and asked you for advice. What advice would you give a younger you today knowing what you now know? You know, I would tell them two things. And because I'm a father, I would, I would say this because I've said it to my father. Take a moment and listen to your parents. Love them and respect them because whether you believe it or not, they do know more than you. And whether you believe it or not, when they're telling you things, they're not telling you those things to hear themselves speak. They're telling you because they've lived a life of experience and they've learned, and they're hoping to help you not make the same mistakes they made. Uh, that's the first thing I would tell any, any young man or woman. The second thing I would say is life is an amazing journey. I don't think it's a race to be won. I think it's an incredible journey to be lived and live it, enjoy it, you know, get the most you can out of life. But I'll give you the advice that my father gave me. And I've taken this with me my entire life. The best thing you can do in this life is live a life worth watching, live a life worth watching, treat people with kindness and decency, you know, try to give more than you take. But at the end of your life, when you are, if you're fortunate enough to watch your funeral from above, live a life that was worth watching. Be remembered as somebody that was remarkable. And that doesn't mean you need to be remembered as a millionaire. Doesn't mean you need to be remembered as an all-state wrestler or a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Those are things you'll accomplish in your life. But that won't define your life. Live a life that was remarkable, that defines you. Live a life that, that is worth watching. Because whether we know it or not, everybody's always watching. Man, you should have your own podcast at this point. thing <laughs> you're saying is like, go well, listen, if you know Joe Rogan, give him a call because I really want to be on his show. <laughs> <laughs> Al Jermaine Sterling was on there. He actually gave me a shout out. So, Aljo, hook, hook my man up. Awesome. Aljo's about to fight for a UFC title. So we'll have him. I was like, dude, how'd you get on Rogan? He's like, yeah, I just messaged him. I'm like, I don't think it works like that for people who aren't UFC <laughs> champions. So uh, last question, how do people find you, man? If they want to uh, hire you for a five by five mission ready training, um, train with okay on the mats or have you come to their mats anywhere around um plug plug away man anywhere and everything right. this this will be my plug um the easiest way to find me uh you can find me on instagram p c i a c a v a z z i b j j p c yakavazi b j j that's my instagram uh channel probably the best way to find me would be through my website which is all one word five x5 missionreadytraining.com 
And, you know, you can find me there. Uh, anybody out there, whether you are a, a, a very a young police officer, whether you're a veteran, whether you want to learn hand-to-hand combat, whether you want to give it a gift for maybe uh, your son or daughter who might be going into the law enforcement training, our military training, um, our training adjusts for all levels, uh, beginner, intermediate, and expert. Um, uh, we've got a great team, you know, Mark Turner, incredible black belt in his own right, a former special operations sniper, very accomplished military resume, um, a, a guy named Frank, and Frank is a brown belt, incredible jujitsu brown belt. You know Frank. Frank is also a, a, a sergeant, 25 years, I believe, in law enforcement. And, I mean, he's a guy who's out there in the trenches, in the streets. Um, I've got several of my friends, my teammates from Atos, that might one day become assistant instructors. We've got some wonderful uh, students at BJJ Lab, where you train, um, that if ever need be, we would have a handful of assistant instructors. But right now, Mark and Brad and Frank and I, we're the on-the-mat guys. Um, our program is is very simple. You know, I'll, I'll give you, this is the motto of our program, and this comes directly from a very good friend of mine, Lieutenant Colonel Peter Jensen, United States Military Academy, West Point. He gave me this, this saying, and he said, Peter, now it's yours to use. And this comes from a direct quote from a former special operations military soldier who had been in several hand-to-hand encounters and literally had to use his bare hands to save his own life. And he said, and I quote, in a life-threatening situation, you ain't rising to the occasion. You fall to the level of your training. So with that being said, our goal at 5x5missionreadytraining.com is to give you the highest level of training to fall to. Excellently worded. Once again, Perfect mission statement. I love it. Um, this has been awesome, man. It's always great catching up with you. Any final thoughts before I let you go? No, I just, you know, I, I thank you for having me. I, I'm a big fan of your podcast. Obviously a big fan of you, you know, I, you know, again, a little bit of a shameless plug for our friendship, but you're just one more reason why I love Brazilian jiu-jitsu because you get to meet people that, that even off the mat, you love, you admire, you respect, and they become your lifelong friends. You know, sometimes the greatest way to meet your brother is have him try to kick your ass first. <laughs> well, I appreciate it again. I, it's, it's very nice to, to get to know you guys. And, um, you know, I, I, I passed through and I went up sticking to Chicago and being part of BJJ Lab and having you come down and becoming friends with you and Mark and Brad and everybody has been absolutely awesome, man. I look forward to you coming back out here and getting some beers and some deep dish with you soon. Sounds awesome, brother. And then let's go to New York and let's get Patton to buy us dinner. I love it, man. And then when then we'll go to Hawaii soon after that. I'm going to link you up with Will Brown. That's next on the list for sure. Let's, do it. Let's, do it. Let's change the world. Let's change the world together. I love it, man. Well, thank you very much, man. I will obviously put all your links in the show notes and I'll hit you up uh, in a couple of days and I'll give you the copies of all this. Let's see. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Have a great day. You're getting back. Time. <laughs> getting back. God bless. Take care. You so what's it?